so the verse that Adam just read is the verse that we have been going as slow as possible to. You literally couldn't go slower through this particular verse. Uh, whatever is true. So a few weeks back, we talked about whatever is true and what does that look like and, and God being ultimate example and picture of what truth is, right? We can't get beyond God. Think about such things. Uh, we talked about whatever uh, is honorable, uh, which is just kind of a slippery word. And what does that look like to have honorable things placed on our mind? Uh, a few things, if you're brand new with us, that we've been talking about this text. Uh, sometimes, many of you may have carried into church a sense of, oh, this is the sermon time, and here's where we get told about a bunch of stuff not to do, uh, and then kind of left there. And so we've talked every single week through this series, we've mentioned that Paul here is not giving a negative command, even though it naturally causes us to then go, okay, what isn't honorable? What isn't true that I put in my mind? Though that's a good natural instinct, this writer Paul, who's writing to this church, this letter from, from prison, has been really encouraging this is one of the more positive through and through letters. He is like just excited about the way this church has become an outpost of heaven. They have become a, a, a light to their city. So everybody uh, from people in politics to brand new uh, followers of Jesus uh, to, to mothers um, who, uh, who had just let, led their kids into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, you have a bunch of Christians who are across the spectrum of vocation who are trying to make sense of what does it mean for me to join God in the renewal of all things? What does it mean to be a group of people who are bent in the direction of Jesus and being disciples, followers of Jesus in this hostile environment? Very similar in some ways to where we are now. We are desiring to be an outpost of heaven. Wherever you're at, if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever profession, your primary vocation is to be that of a minister, to be that of somebody who is, is uh, declaring Right? And demonstrating the love and beauty and goodness of the gospel of Jesus. So this is the context. And they are doing an unbelievable job of this. And Paul isn't giving them a list of what not to do. He's saying, hey, these things, think about this stuff. This is the kind of stuff that should be on the mind of a follower of Jesus. This isn't like a, an exclusive list. This isn't like only everything ever. We sometimes do that to the Bible and we make a big mistake. Uh, this is actually, there's all sorts of interesting backstory of what this is actually pulled from. But we recognize first and foremost that this is important. These are really great qualities. And given that these aren't a negative command, it's really important that me as pastor and you as, as listener right now, don't slip into the trap of simply isolating negative behavior and then leaving a vacuum. For me, just Andrew for a second, I literally believe this stuff. Like, I literally believe that a, tr a life where you're putting true things and honorable things and pure things and lovely things and excellent things, those are the kinds of things you're thinking of. If these are the sorts of things which are rooted in Jesus, I think it, you will live the greatest possible life ever. I actually think sin is a distortion of the beauty I don't actually think sin is much fun once you get past the surface level of it. I think things that are broken and things that go against the design of the creator, actually in the end, even if they are pretty awesome for a little while, will ultimately lead to a sort of destruction, whether that's a day later or, or 80 years later. 
And so that's important charging into this because my goal in part is to sure examine what's not pure in our life, but is to actually give a compelling picture of what the pure life looks like. So that's where I'm going to go. And this sermon for some of us, um, I I give that long intro because I'm really uh, worried about this sermon a little bit. Because you could easily walk away with, uh, especially if you're new, like, ah, that dude's a fundamentalist giving me a laundry list of what not to watch. Right? So I have a slide that I'm going to put up of every TV show that you should watch and shouldn't watch. I'm kidding. But there's a temptation in talking about purity of going in a couple directions. One would be, uh, I would call it, I guess, like puritanical, not to knock the beautiful things we learn from the Puritans, but there's a whole lot of destruction. Uh, So when we look at a very puritanical or fundamentalist mindset, where we look at here are all the things you don't do, basically cut it all out, anything that even screams of something that could be bad, right? Cut it out because... You want to live the most pure life possible. On the surface, that can sound either really good to you right now or actually really, really sad and frustrating. Right? On the other side, and this is where I'm betting most of the folks, at least that I know, who are are out here sitting, you actually lean on the side of, well, I'm a Christian. I'm free to do anything that's, like, good, right? All things are good. And frankly, watching this or doing this or putting this in my mind, it doesn't affect me, so I'm good. In fact, sometimes the church can be so starved to seem normal or like relevant that uh, we actually like we actually tout the fact that oh, I'm a Christian, yeah, 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 but no, I still watch porn. You know, uh, we, no, I don't think anybody actually does that here. Hopefully, but uh, <laughs> you with me? But I think what's dangerous for many of us when it comes to what we think about when we think about purity is that we um, have a sort of, uh, well, you know, God will forgive and maybe I'll get it a little bit wrong or maybe I won't watch just the right thing or, or think about the right thing or put the right thing in my head here, there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really a big deal. It's like famous last words. It's not really a big deal. And I just want to just start out in saying it's actually a huge deal. Not just because God's going to get mad. It actually is because it's not a good way to live. Like, if I can just be, like, just straightforward, I literally think it is a suckier way to live. I think it's crappier way to, I think it's, like, insert uh, expletive. Like, it's just, that's not very pure, Andrew. It's, It's not the most compelling way to walk through life. But... It's kind of, it's a little bit gray. There's actually some things that are clear. And then there are some things in our culture when it comes to purity that aren't so clear. So, all that said, I'd like to talk about my daughter's bowel movements. Seeing if you're listening. (laughs) So, I have a daughter, Harper. She's nine months old. I think she's all right. Uh, I'm reminded of a very simple truth, when, uh, in particular when I change her diaper, that what you put in comes out. You can see where this is going. So m- how many of you have, have uh, changed more than five diapers in your life? You don't have to be a parent, but you change good, a good number of you. How many of you have experienced the shift from uh, 
total like um, just like breastfeeding, uh, you know, formula, just bottle shifting to um, solid foods. How many of you have experienced that shift firsthand? A, a bunch of you. So you know what I'm talking about. What starts, this is going to be so gross for some of you, you love it, as like odorless, like, or, or just like, it's, it's almost smells cute, you know, of like yellow custard. Yeah, I know it's gross, man, but it gets worse, because yellow custard is just sort of like, oh, it's easy, you know. I'm about to like do the hand motion, I don't need to do it. It's a simple, yeah, and we're good. You know, containable. Uh, then there is what happens when they start eating solid food. Uh, and it was yesterday. I have a picture. I don't have a picture for you. <laughs> That's when you kick me out. Um, it was like a. It was like a green stone. Like a beautiful green stone. It was not beautiful. It just sat there. And what was alarming wasn't that it was a green stone. It was that it smelled so rank. And if you've ever stopped for a moment while you were maybe doing your own number two, and you went, smells awful in here, right? Courtesy flush, because you're in a public space or in someone else's bathroom. Yeah, it's actually turning into kind of more normal human poop, and you realize I'm actually cleaning up another human's poop. For some reason, for me, that did not dawn on me for the first nine months, and now it is very real. That is a very long way of saying that there is a truth an axiom of sorts in the world, for most part, that what you put in comes out, right? We know this to be true, and yet we do not live like it. I have for so many hours, days, weeks, months, and years of my life, I still continue deeply to struggle with this, that what I put in comes out. I have a dairy allergy. I'm going to stick with the grossness. Right? I can't eat, like, ricotta cheese. Ricotta cheese is delicious. And so if I don't have a pill and I eat ricotta cheese, there is, there is sin. There is, my, there is penalty. There are consequences. The wrath of dairy comes upon me. It is the same with our mind. It is the same with our mind. I am convinced of this more than ever. The worst part is, is that it's subtle. It's not like, oh, I watched this show where a guy like, cheated on his wife, going to cheat on my wife. We all know it's not like that, and so we immediately distance ourselves from that reality. But the fact is, is that the more and more things get put on us, the more and more we begin to process things through certain lens or exposed to certain bits of entertainment or open ourselves up to certain ways of thinking that are not pure, we run into trouble in very subtle ways. We get a little more angry. We get a little more open to a certain kind of coarse joking. We're actually more okay, right? Have you ever met somebody who, like, has a real pure heart and it comes out really, like, obviously? For some of you who are really kind of cynical, loaded down, a little bit angry, you're a little bit sexualized and you know this, when you come across somebody like that, they're actually annoying to you. Right? Ever met somebody who's just like so just wide-eyed and sort of, I don't mean innocent in like a, like unaware of the world way. I mean like innocent and like, no, I've actually never seen that or watched that or heard that or exposed myself to that kind of whatever. Right? There's actually, you know, if you run into a person like that and they're actually sort of annoying, you actually look down on them because they, 
they don't know this sort of aspect of the way the world is. And yet I would argue that, I mean, depending on the situation, like this could be a, a, actually one of, an amazing, beautiful way to live. So Jesus says some things uh, about purity and specifically about the purity of the heart. And so I'm going to circle back to Philippians 4.8. So whatever is pure, think about such things. I'm going to circle back to this in a moment. But first, I actually want to go to the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes. I'll say one last thing about purity. Think about products. Think about the sort of artisanal, organic movement that is sort of sweeping uh, the, the country right now. We value things that are pure. We value things that have no impurity to them, right? Some of you are craftsmen. There's something just amazing. And I know that impurities can be used to, to actually look great in certain circumstances and all of that. Uh, as a general rule, when we're talking about food, when we're talking about product, the th- something being pure, something being uh, just, just very clear and clean, the way it was supposed to be, we all know that there's a value to that. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, I would like to today think that Jesus is actually um, telling the truth. Blessed, God is with in some way. The blessing of God is upon the pure in heart, for they will see God in Matthew 5. Regardless of, let's just look at this verse for a second. I think it's on the screen behind me, right? Nope. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I guess next slide. Nope. Okay. It's all right. Um, it's back up there now. There we go. So just imagine the blessed of the pure in heart isn't there right now. I have given my entire life, truly, to the second line there. I want to see God. I, I want to experience God, I want my, my soul, my heart, my eyes, my being, the thing that makes me me that goes beyond just my biology. I, I want to know God. We're told that that is like the, the, the highest of all sort of callings. Like this is eternal life to know God. I, I've heard God's voice. I've seen God work in unbelievable ways. Just this morning on the bike ride over. And more and more I want to grow in knowing God. And and. Regardless of what was even before that verse, before we get to the blessed of the pure in heart, there's something that uh, we so often do when we look at this. We sort of make it poetic. We put it into like the inspiring category so we can disregard it. This is just Jesus using this sort of like really nice sort of broad language. And we kind of immediately breeze by But if Jesus is telling the truth, if there's something wrapped up then in this noble pursuit of what it is to truly know the God of the universe, the love and the logic behind everything, if we can do that, then it's somehow linked to the purity of our heart. Well, then whatever Jesus had put there, whatever was in that first line, I want to do that. Wouldn't that be a noble cause? Amen? Like, why are we all here? Like, I, I, want, I, want to know, I want to know God. I want to know the truth. Some of you who are not followers of Jesus, like, why else would you even be here, though? 
Like, at least, maybe it's not God. You're just like, I want to know why these crazy Christians meet in the middle of my city. But I want to know the truth. I want to know what's real. And so Jesus is simply asserting that something about the purity of your heart is related to this. And I think for a lot of us, uh, it is this reality of having a very, like, murky eyesight, of having a really a cloudy uh, cloudy vision when we are looking into the distance um, that cr- makes it very difficult for us to see God. It is the fact that there is noise and distraction, that there is stuff so often in the way. This isn't limiting the sovereignty of God to be able to reach down and grab hold of us. But Jesus is linking, and as we'll see it all throughout Scripture, there is a link between our pursuit of God and our being able to revel in Him, to see Him, to know Him more. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who can see clearly, whose heart is focused in on the right sorts of things. Anybody in here have terrible vision? Just like, ter- yeah, a couple of you, a lot of you. Well, my vision's awesome, Twenty twenty. I mention that as, as a joke, but not a joke, because um, my, my brothers and I, my brother Nathan just came home from L.A., and uh, immediately, it's funny, there are pictures posted up. He went and uh, he saw Stephen, and uh, my other brother who's here, and they were posting pictures. It's, it looked like he had been off the plane for about 10 minutes, and they were already playing a game about who could kick the ball uh, straighter into the shed than the other. Like, soccer ball shed game. Like, just come to the Mook House. We'll just make up games. We love competition at all costs. We finally get to the house last night, and there's a badminton set up. Badminton. Fun, summer, light game, right? <laughs> oh, no. Brutal. Steven and Nathan, like, Nathan is literally trying to keep it together, gritting his teeth. Like, because he thinks Steven is kind of, like, cheating and making up, like, the... the the, the lines and moving the lines in and out, the, the boundary markers. It's just so funny that this, like, is what, what, what drives my family, uh, or at least the brothers. So I, the eye exam, I'm realizing this competitiveness is burns in my blood. So I had to get my license renewed, and I'm sitting there uh, doing the eye test. You have to do the eye test again to make sure you haven't gone blind or anything. Uh, and so I'm going through, and they're like, just read line five. I'm like, <laughs> read it. Went through it, and they're like, okay, great. I'm like, no, no, don't you want to see how far I can go? <laughs> and the girl at the counter's like, I don't actually even know what the next line is. Like, I don't have it written here. I was like, well, let me tell you. And I went and I read it. And then there was this, that was line six. And there was a line seven. Guess who nailed almost all of it? This guy. It was awesome. And she looked at me like, you, this kid has a problem. I think she might have thought I was, like, trying to, like, hit on her or something. Like, you know, it's like the flexing move. Like, oh, let me get that for you. I'm like, let me read line seven for you. <laughs> she was really impressed. There's something about our vision that directly affects the way we walk through our life, obviously. This is a Captain Obvious moment. But it's why we, we have to put corrective lenses on. It's why we are intentional. If we do nothing and let our vision just go, for those of us who have astigmatism, for those of us who can't see color, for those of us who flip things, literally some people have blind spots. Actual, I don't mean like metaphorical, like that dude doesn't realize there's a jerk blind spot. Like literally some people have blind spots, like places in their vision where it's just black. 
And this kind of gets at a little bit of what we're going to see of how uh, uh, the, the uh, prophet named Moses and how the writer Hebrews and how circle back to Jesus talks about what it means to pursue God and what that looks like in terms of our vision, being able to truly see God, to experience God, to take in the fullness of God and how our pursuit or lack thereof Hence, our, our intentionality, our glasses are not glasses, are actually like being able to see clearly. A difference between opening your eyes in the Atlantic and opening your eyes in the Pacific. Right? Have anyone tried to open your eyes like off the coast of, like, of Narragansett? You can see about three inches. But you go into some of the like, like Southern California and the Pacific, you can, you're, it's amazing how far you can see. So, if we, I want to turn for a second to Moses. And keeping this analogy sort of floating over top of us. Deuteronomy 34.10 speaks of, uh, of the prophet. And we're told in this passage that Moses could see the God face to face. This is what Moses and the relationship with God was like. If nothing else could be written about you, wouldn't it be amazing to have that on your tombstone, that on your epitaph? Like, I, I, I saw God. I walked with God. I lived a life living with God face to face. In verse 33, or I'm sorry, in chapter 33, just before this section, the Lord, we read, would speak to Moses face to face as a man and his friend, it says. Moses was just like us. We get descriptions of him in the burning bush story, for those of you who are familiar with the scriptures. Moses wanted nothing to do. He was scared. He was unequipped. He was fearful. He wasn't even able to see God. Right? There's something about even the presence of God that we've talked about with Moses that it was just, there was this distance and disconnect. And yet, when we read towards the end of the story of Moses' life, we read about this common, everyday man who had major problems, who had incredible fears, who could not and did not know this God, is now face-to-face with the Lord, with the, the beauty and love behind all things. It is possible, sanctuary, to live life this way. Throughout Moses' life, we read him, and I wish I had time to just go through story after story. He just moves towards God. He moves towards God. Uh, contrast him with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was surrounded by the signs and wonders of God, plagues. Uh, he was on the other side of the parting of the Red Sea. And we sometimes think if God would just send me a sign, then I would believe. If I could just see, if God would just, in the morning when I woke up, you would just see God writing his name across the sky, that we would be, oh, man, if God would just do that, everything would be settled. I am wildly convinced. I, I was hearing someone talk about this the other day. Just that, like, how many things would we create and make up to distance ourselves from believing that that was actually God? That's ah, an anomaly. It's the way the dust is hitting the sun. and We do this all the time. Pharaoh, surrounded by signs and wonders, did not even for a moment acknowledge God. He did not turn and begin to pursue this God. The difference is Moses spent his life moving towards God and the things of God. In the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, just giving you some overview here, the writer of Hebrews assumes that we can hear God, that when the Spirit speaks and you soften your heart and obey, 
then you can actually engage and hear and see God. It warns us to not do as Israel did. They hardened their hearts and they resisted the things of God. And it says their ears became dull. There's something about the relationship between our pursuit of the things of God and being able to see and know God. Pursuing clarity. How can I see God? How can I step into the Pacific and open my eyes and see? How can I see line seven? How can I know God? There's something about the pursuit. There's something about the, the, the listening in Hebrews. Listening, obeying, and connecting with the things that are of God. The things that make God who God is. To align ourselves with those sorts of things. And so I want to make the argument is that when we are unpure, when we are putting impure things, there is a direct relationship to the murkiness of our vision, and it makes seeing God nearly impossible. It's not if you live a more functionally moral life, like if I just do things on the outside that appear to be more pure. I would argue that it is the filter of our soul. When we keep the filter of our soul clean, when the way in which we see the world is through a lens that is focused on the things that are pure, we will see God in more people and in more circumstances. We will be aware of the things of God when we tune our heart to the way that God is. When we tune our heart to the way that God is. Opening yourselves up to the ways of God which are pure. And so it makes sense then that one of the primary attributes attached to God is what? Love, and he is holy. God is holy. A word that we sing about, we talk about a lot in church. I'm sure you've heard it somewhere, whether in a good or negative setting. Holy is pure, set apart. Something that is holy is like without blemish. It's perfect. It's the way things are meant to be. And so in 1 Peter, this writer who is deeply influenced by Jesus, has encountered Jesus, he writes, um, but just as he who called you is holy, just as God the Father is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This idea of being whole, pure, uncorrupted, there's no darkness in you, only light the command isn't saying be holy because it's the right thing to do. Right? There's a difference. It's not, hey, be holy because it's right. Actually, the command is be holy because I am holy. God is light. God is freedom, purity, hope. Be like that. Tune yourself to how God is. I'm convinced that even though we don't necessarily um, uh, say this often, uh, that this is a, a sort of ticker tape that's going on in the back of our heads. We think God's standing here giving us arbitrary commands because it's fun. And I'm supposed to trust the Bible and God says do it, so that's it. Now, I'm not taking anything away from just trusting the good word of God whether you understand it or not. But we can actually understand this. God's not saying here's a bunch of morals. He's saying I'm holy, I'm set apart, free, beautiful, full of love. Like, this is the ground of your being, the ground of the world, what's making everything go. Align yourself. Align yourself with me. Line yourself up with how things are at their deepest level 
of existence. This is why morality fails. This is why when you tell somebody, or you've been told, maybe you've been in a church environment where someone's been like, yeah, make sure you do this, 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 and you've never been given the why. You've never been given the compelling answer. Yeah, be pure. Don't look at bad stuff. Don't watch shows that will corrupt you. Don't, like, don't follow like, Instagram feeds that will feed your insecurity about who you are. Like, stop getting vogue. Like, stop, like, whatever it is, and it becomes just sort of like an arbitrary, like, just don't do it because it's bad. We don't get the why, and we don't understand a more compelling picture, and then we walk away from the church. I pray that never happens to you here. The reason why some of you should never pick up a Vogue magazine is because you have serious, serious self-image issues. You are so wrapped up in fashion and how heavy or thin you are, it's actually killing you. It's not pure. It's not the way we were supposed to think of ourselves. It's not the best way to live. It's killing you. Be holy as I am holy. It's actually not as good in the long. For those of you who are addicted to like celebrity gossip, like be holy. Like put pure things, pure set apart things on your mind. That's actually killing you. It's causing you to think about actual real life people in a negative way. I was talking to my wife about the artist uh, Lana Del Rey recently. Anyone love Lana Del Rey? Moderately like Lana. How many, hold on, this is the question. How many hate Lana Del Rey? No one. Corey, my wife, is the only one. Nick, Nick, all right. <laughs> uh, well, that was where the story was going. My wife's like. <laughs> so Lana Del Rey, is a, for those of you who don't know who she is, she's a new artist. She's a bit contentious for a number of reasons that I'm not going to bore you with. Uh, she's sort of like Nancy Sinatra, kind of like our modern-day Nancy Sinatra, just like total attitude. So what's interesting is a lot of people tend to knock her for all sorts of reasons, some of which her music, most of it not. And I was reading an article in the New York Times, her new album had just come out, and uh, she was talking about how unbelievably depressed she has been over the last year. She was being very candid. In fact, she felt like the writer, later on she talks about, felt like the writer had actually betrayed her in sharing more than she wanted him to share. And she just talks about how hard it has been to live in a world where there is so much criticism. And I'm sitting there thinking, how many dumb conversations have I heard people have lambasting her as this fake and fraud and getting caught up in all this really stupid stuff? How many people have, like, an opinion about, like, Kanye and Kim Kardashian? Like, the very fact that you have an opinion, the very fact that I know that they got married recently, it already speaks to so much brokenness. I don't have time for the second sermon right now. But the reality is, is that when we begin to inundate ourselves with whatever it is, it actually affects the way we live. I should be looking at any person, whether they are famous, making tons of money in art that I like or don't like, or whether they are the person sitting next to me right now who is a bit awkward. I, as a follower of Jesus, should be seeing everybody who is made in the image of God. I should be for them and desire to love and have hope for them and desire their transformation, even if they are annoying beyond what I can handle. That's the posture. I should have pure thoughts towards my neighbor whether my neighbor is the person I'm listening to on the record or the person actually sitting next to me. We know this to be true, but we forget about the principle of Harper's poop. <laughs> what we put in will come out. You like how I brought that full circle, huh? <laughs> what we put in will come out. We actually have to trust that. I would encourage you to trust that when it comes to assessing what is truly pure and good for you to put in your head. 
We are called to be holy as God is holy, lining ourselves up with reality at its deepest levels. This is what is most real and true, is purity. Like good, old-fashioned, like hope and love and joy and freedom that is unmarked. Asking the question, will it corrupt your thinking if I give it attention to it? Will this thing corrupt my attention? Will it corrupt me if I give attention to it? Will this thing mess with me? Will this thing make me less alive, beautiful, hopeful, loving, and full of joy if I put my... Will this mess with my personal identity? Will this mess with my marriage and my sex life? Will this mess with me? Because if it will, it's not worth the 10 minutes of entertainment. Amen? This is not worth it. I get that it's fun. I love all sorts of shows that if I like laid them down and confessed to you, you'd be like, dude, that is not pure. I know. I love random reality television sometimes. It's so dark. (laughs) Help me. (laughs) And I have to begin to kick this stuff out. Even going through this series has been so helpful for me and convicting and I hate it. So here's here's the trick though. Uh, I was talking to friends Jenna and Susie about this yesterday. So once we align, once we get to the place where we go, okay, great. Things that are destructive, things that are unhealthy, I should cut them out. How do I discern that? That's, that's the trick, right? Because most of us, to go back to the beginning, we go, oh, I can watch that. It doesn't affect me, Andrew. Well, you don't know it's affecting you. Right? How do I actually discern whether that's good? And how do I not get all puritanical about it? You know, again, understand what I mean when I say puritanical about it? Like, not get all super fundamentalist about it. How do I not just, like, become somebody who's, like, I, I don't even, like, walk outside because I might see an advertisement with a girl whose shirt is a little low? Or how do I not be, become that? And, and what's really interesting, if we can drill down further, I'm going to get a little nuance for you here. For those of you who are, are struggling following me already, this is going to get even worse. When it comes to the issue of art, there are so many storytellers and creatives in this room. Like unbelievable gifts and and people who love and appreciate art if you're not an artist yourself. And I don't just mean like paintings, like storytelling. You watch a show because the character development is incredible. Like you look at that, you listen to that music because it's just brilliant. And yeah, of course, it's crass. Right, here's a great example. If Hollywood were to make a film of the life of David, I don't know how many of you are familiar with David, but he, he, really rough story. Really, really, really rough story. Killing people, sleeping with another guy's wife, and then trying to get the husband of that wife killed. Right? If, that, if, if a director took on the story of David and was actually, like, even remotely accurate in telling the story and didn't, like, do the weird, like, Christian culture whitewash it, Right? The, the director of Left Behind is not producing this movie. Like, and you took the story of David, there's no way you could make that movie anything less than rated R. Even if you like, pulled out the explicit like, parts of the scene. Like, the movie would be really, really tough to watch. But what's different about the story of David? There's a redemptive arc. Right? There's not a glorification. Right? As soon as David like, does all sorts of things... <laughs> As soon as he falls into these places of brokenness, he realizes what he's done. We get some of the most beautiful confessions and songs in Scripture. In Psalm 51. 
Like just saying, oh my God, this is not the way. Created me a clean heart. He speaks of even purity. Right? There are things in art that we can encounter that are, are beautiful and redemptive but have really unbeautiful and unredemptive parts in them. And so for some of you, watching that wouldn't be a problem. For some of you, watching a scene where David is getting it on with Bethsaida on the top of a roof, that would be actually really hard and trigger a lot of really rough things for you. Are you getting where this gets really fuzzy quick? There can be things that are pure. There can be things that are, it's a pure story and it's just telling the story of reality through it. Then things start to get really, really a little bit fuzzy. I was at a, a conference a number of years ago, just after that song Jesus Walks came out. Uh, and I was, it, was mostly, um, it was mostly folks who were into hip-hop. And it was, a, it was a Christian conference. And so I'm sitting on the panel, and I would like to point out a couple things. I'm the only white person there, uh, or a white person on the panel. Uh, and I'm the only person uh, who had not, at least on this panel, who had not grown up in some sort of inner-city or at-risk um, neighborhood. So... The conversation turns to why kids in high school should only listen to Christian hip-hop. I immediately am furious. Are you serious? There's so much good art in this, this, this. Just look at like Kanye's song, even though maybe his record isn't as totally pure, but this is so good. We need to reclaim the goodness of art wherever we find it. Right, I'm making arguments for why, you know, like listening to Tupac can be really good. You're hearing the stories about what happened and his background, and you don't have to, you don't have to exalt it, uh, but it's good to listen to it. This is good, true, and beautiful. We can claim this everywhere. The whole argument that I have from art. So I go off on this rant, and I'm finished, and I'm thinking like, oh, I just killed it. And I, I literally had like set the room on fire. Like these two guys who were sitting next to me on the panel were like, it's easy for you to say, man. You haven't grown up in it. I'm like, what do you mean? Imagine a 17-year-old to all he's listening to is music about shooting, about being robbed, about a certain kind of lifestyle, about treating women, and that's actually all he's seen. Are you telling me that that's good and redemptive for him to have that stuff on his head as he's living it? <laughs> and I went, <laughs> I tell that story because things get fuzzy. Things get gray. It didn't make my argument any less legitimate. But what's interesting about when you look through the scriptures is it's messy and it's gray and it's fuzzy in places and it's crystal clear in others. Be pure is clear. There are things that are just broken that you should be aware of and we live in a broken world. So as followers of Jesus more than ever we need to be grounded in the word of God, listening to the spirit, able to discern what is actually good and true and beautiful. And not just for us, right? For our neighbor. There are things that we can expose ourselves to, right? Uh, somebody I was talking to this week about this subject was saying, oh, there's stuff that I might go watch, but I would never allow my husband to sit next to me and watch that. I would never introduce that because that would not be good. Which leads me to my last point. So much of what I'm saying, uh, something that can be, we can justify the fact that it's, it's interesting or good, um, you know, right? Fashion inherently isn't bad, but there's a lot of brokenness with fashion. Uh, music, there's nothing wrong with listening to music by an artist who's not a Christian. Uh, um, but there can be really broken things that are part of that, right? We can go down the line of things that we can put into our head. Celebrity gossip, by the way, is always evil. Just wanted to let you know. People Magazine, anybody? <laughs> Burn them. 
mostly serious. <laughs> there are things that are fuzzy. I don't know where I was going with that. I got so excited about the People Magazine comment. <sighs> Wait for it. The things that are actually fuzzy, the things that are unclear, what happens is, is usually what we're talking about oftentimes is just entertainment. And so we're still leaning if there's like a, here's the negative side of purity and here's like the, here's the non-pure side and here's the purity side. When we lean on the impure side and maybe we get back to neutral, we don't do what I started this teaching talking about is shift into the, the purity part. That's great that that's um, okay for you, but it's just okay for you. That's great that it's just like, yeah, it's not a big deal. It doesn't really affect me. It's just like moderate entertainment. That's fine. I'm not against like zoning out from time to time. But too often we don't actually ask the better question, which is what's best? Like what's best? What's really good? What's truly beautiful? Not just what's, oh, it's really okay for me. Oh, it's neutral, right? We land in neutral ground too often when it comes to figuring out what we should put on our heads, what we should watch, what we should listen to, what we should see, what we should focus on. And frankly, it gets really, really tough for us to then to step into the kind of life that God has for us of purity because we're not lining ourselves up with that which is most compelling. We're actually not stepping into a place when we're going out and partying with our friends or we're going and listening to music together or we're going deciding what magazines we're going to look at or what entertainment we're going to encounter, right? We, this is a huge part of our life is entertainment. What we're asking is, well, I guess that wouldn't affect me too much, so I'll go. I guess it's not that bad. I guess it's kind of neutral. Instead of asking, what would be awesome? What would be renewing? What would be beautiful for me? And before you think again, I'm going in a weird direction. This doesn't mean like go watch like, like I don't know, really bad Christian art or a Christian film or something. Like it's not exactly. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, are we actually even asking the question? I'm not here to give you some new law. I'm not here to give you a set of guidelines because neither is Jesus. Paul says, I'm free to do anything. All right, he's talking about the food laws. He's like, but not everything's beneficial. Not everything leads to life. Not everything is holy. Not everything is pure. So to answer the question, how do we discern? I go back over and over to Psalm 119. It provides clear direction about how we can remain pure in our thoughts and in our deeds. 119.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by guarding it according to your word. By guarding it according to your word. Colossians 3, 16, in speaking about the scriptures, in speaking about the holy word of God, says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let's imagine the writer's talking to us for a moment. Hey guys, let the words of Jesus, all that comes with his direction for you, let it sit, dwell, drench among you richly as we teach one another, as we admonish one another, like encourage and call out, push one another, with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. A few principles. Read, think, pray, live. If we're going to discern what's pure and holy, we have to start in the Scriptures. I'm going to end with this. Most of us set ourselves up to intake the information we want, right? Your Netflix account is set up to intake the information that you want. Your Twitter feed, 
That's why I love Twitter. I can decide what I want to filter. I can decide I want this article, I want this writer, I want this musician, I want these inputs into my thought life. We actually have control. The way info comes in is flattened and personalized. We have to have a humility towards the things that are coming in. We actually have to realize that the stuff that we decide shapes us and in that we have to do a better job getting the word in us, actually reading the scriptures. There's a number of amazing apps I've talked about before. If you have your phone out, Reflections is a really easy app. I know it sounds really like Reflections. It's actually really, really great. I don't know what that was. Reflections. I know it's hot and I'm going long, but I'm almost done. There's a number of things. There's a couple great books that we have. Um, if you have like five to ten bucks, like throw us something and take them. That will help you if you're brand new to the scriptures and you want to kind of understand how to work through them more. If you, have need, if you really want a recommendation, come to me. For some of you, just pick up the book of John. Just read through slowly. Read through the Psalms. And this leads me to the second thing. We need to think. We need to think deeply. We need to learn the art of reading which is like letting a very slow melting lozenge melt imperceptibly in your mouth. So my favorite quotes from Von Hugel, great name. We need to like soak in this stuff that it just seeps into us. The scripture begins to like, like the things that are pure and lovely begin to take hold in our heart. That we can discern the sorts of things when they come at us. Actually, that's okay to watch. Actually, that's okay to intake. Actually, no, I'm not actually insecure in that way. That, that would, I would actually learn a lot from going to that. And for others, it's like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I'm sure looking at another, like, I don't know, whatever it may be for you, like that magazine or that feed that is just going to destroy you or eat away at you or more likely just kind of chip. You've got the word in you in such a way that you know that actually that's not it. That's not the thing. Right, Psalm 23, he restores my soul, the writer says. Let that, like, let a, a phrase like that, that we read over so quickly, let it hit you. Like, drink it in. Don't hurry through the text. Think about it. So often we read through and expect magic to happen. The Lord God restores my soul. My soul's in need of restoring desperately today. I am exhausted, I am beat, the kids are crying, my wife is whatever, my, I'm having trouble at work, I'm having, I feel so insecure, I'm, I feel totally unstable and off my rock, I'm struggling with depression, like whatever it is, God restores my soul. Or maybe it's for you, like I'm on top of the world, I love that God restores people's souls. God, tell me who the people I should love this week better are. This is like one part of one verse in the scripture that I could sit here and talk to you about for easily the next hour. <laughs> There's so much there. Let's think about it and drench ourselves in it. Pray. What does this mean for me today? Never stop reading into your heart what is stirred. Basically what I just said. Connect with the story. And then lastly, live. James 1 says this. There's something about obedience. James 1 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's talking about the scriptures, that give freedom. So the Bible gives freedom. 
This isn't about clamping down on your lifestyle. This is actually the way you were meant to live. Freedom. And continues in it, walking in this way, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Because I would end with this. You cannot be pure of heart without God's help. You can't do it. A lot of us are trying to do sit-ups to cure cancer. Like, you cannot white-knuckle your way. You cannot just push through this. We need God. And so here's how we do this. Like the, like the prayer in the book of Ezekiel, God says he'll give us a new heart. We just pray, God, give me your heart. God, recreate me. Help me trust that the old is gone. I want the kind of eyesight that can see miles through the ocean instead of just the murkiness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God when we line ourselves up with that which is undefiled and pure and beautiful. Even something as silly as I'm going to put that thing away. I'm going to begin to think of these people like this in a more pure way. You will begin to see God because that's what God's like. Because that's what God's like. So if it's interesting to you to see and know God, then then do that. <laughs> and if it's not, then check that. Actually, that's not worth it, me thinking about trying to rearrange my life in a more pure fashion. I actually don't think. Then there's a different set of questions for you today. And welcome the band up. And we're going to just enter a time of reflection and, uh, and then close together. If you would, join me in prayer. not going to be taking communion this morning and the reason for that by the way was just so we could sit in this i felt this kind of overwhelming sense with how largely uncool this sermon was going to be this morning that god might stir something in us that maybe for some of you um the idea of like i actually want to know god like that's actually the first confession that needs to be made for you like i i just surrender god i actually want to know you more i actually want to align myself with with you and i haven't said that out loud in a very long time or ever for those of you who are cynical or just apathetic i just encourage you in this moment um, as we pray to just say um, I'm cynical. I'm apathetic. I don't want to be anymore. Help. God's not looking for some flowery language from any of us. He wants a raw heart. He wants us to be real, to be honest, because God loves us exactly where you are at right now in all of your belief and unbelief and all of your confidence and all of your doubt, he loves you. He is for you. And only a God who loves you and fors you and is for you, only that kind of God is going to want to know you more. He's gonna want you to know him more. He's going to want you to be in communion with him. He's going to want you to be fully human and fully alive. That's all I want. That is what I've given my life to, to know God more. I mean, what else is there? 
Jesus has said he's come to give us life and life to the full. Jesus is God and God is holy and be holy as I am holy. Put your mind on holy, pure things so you might know me more. So what are the things, what has been like pinging in your head that you are trying to stifle? Bring it to the surface. Be honest with God. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you'd like to follow him, even right now, maybe you just need to like, with everybody's head bowed, maybe you just need to like raise your hand and just own it. Come forward after the service. I'm going to be right here. Just talk to some people. Say, I am confused out of my mind, but I would love for my uh, head to catch up to where my heart is right now. I want to, I want to follow this God. And may we remember as we go into prayer that we need God to make us pure. And so the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus is Lord of all, that he has forgiven us of any sin and made us new in him and called us to join him in the renewal of all things, this massive story of the gospel, may we trust in it this morning that God gives us the strength to become the people that we were created to be. Let's pray. We cry, help. Some of us, Lord, here cry, help. Some of us this morning cry, thank you. For some of us, you've given a next step already. The things that need to just be gutted so we can be more alive. And for some of us, we're just uh, distracted and confused. Bring clarity. Bring life, God. And I pray that those right now who want to say yes to Jesus, who want to say yes to you, Lord, would, would be courageous and do that now. So we sit in this moment, Lord, before you as a group, asking you to make us new and singing uh, songs of surrender. <clears throat>